We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Our speaker today is the senior pastor, Tom Nelson. Well, I'd like you to look at Mark chapter 4 that Charles read to us. This is uh, a parable that is only found in the gospel of Mark. Matthew doesn't include it, only Mark. And so it's unique to it. Um, Let me begin with an illustration. You probably heard this before. But it's all about what this parable is about. Very important parable, especially to the Romans, which I'll show you. Uh, I've got a friend named Erwin Letzer who pastors up in Chicago. And he teaches at Moody Bible in Chicago. And he teaches a class on homiletics, which is the art of preaching. And uh, one of the things he does in this class is for when you graduate, you go out, all of you go out in a bus and you go out to a graveyard, and there at that cemetery, you preach to the dead. He gets paid for this, okay. You preach to the dead, and you have to give an altar call. You sing to them, you tell them to get up out of that grave and walk, all right. And uh, Irwin just looks at you and smiles, and he lets you know, what, what is the purpose, you think? He lets men know that are going to be Bible teachers that you can do just so much. Because as Paul said, the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Their foolishness to it. He can't receive them because they're spiritually interpreted that man does not have the censors to receive spiritual truth. He may be a, he may be Einstein, he may be, you know, Isaac Newton, but when it comes down to God's sin, salvation, the Bible, even though he may theoretically understand what they say, he is not sensitive to it because men do not immediately receive a system that condemns them. And so they don't like it. And so he let them know, you can do so much in preaching. And unless God sends down a lightning bolt, that Frankenstein ain't moving. Are you with me? It's alive. (laughs) He's not coming to life unless God brings him. Jesus said, no man comes to me. Unless the Father who sent me draws him. Nobody's coming. With that bit of encouragement, let's pray and let's go home. Stay with me here, and I'm going to show you why this parable is important. We looked last week at the parable of the sower, and we looked at four things. That in the age to come, there will be, number one, a proclamation of the gospel message. We're not going to see a visible Jesus. We're going to hear a message about him that is called the good news. It is the mystery of God's grace, not just to the Jew, but to all the world. In other words, it's John 3.16, that God so loved the world. And so this, this age that we're in until the coming of Christ is an age of humans communicating to other humans on what God has done. Number two, uh, three out of four are going to reject this message. Number three, 
there will be no immediate judgment. Lightning bolts will not come down and destroy the unbelievers. Number four, some will believe it and will bear fruit in a world of opposition and in a world that, quote, when persecution arises on account of the word, that it will be a time, this age will be a time, not just of salvation for the lost, but a time of, of testing for the saved, that we will find out who they are. And such will be the coming age and the age that we are in. Does this sound familiar? This is where we are. This is what God is doing. You won't hear this in Congress. You won't hear it in the House of Representatives. You won't hear this at MIT. You won't hear it at Harvard. It is only known within the church. We know what's going on. The parable of the seed is how the church's proclamation is going to take place. In other words, the church's proclamation is going to succeed, the parable of the sower, because of the parable of the seed. This is the way it's going to work. And we're going to find out in this parable that the earth produces crops by itself, that it's a sovereign act of God. It's because of the life of God within the seed that we're going to see anything take place. And he's going to say this, it's believed, and I think rightly so. This parable comes right after the parable of the sower, so that those who preach the message will not become proud when they see success. Because the only reason you see success is because of the phenomena of that message. And that those will not be discouraged by ministerial barrenness because it's something that's all up to God. The parable of the sower is about our proclamation. The parable of the seed is about our power. It comes from God. Are you with me? Now watch this. In verse uh, 30. No, not verse 30. Let's go to verse 26. Preparation is the key to preaching, okay? <laughs> know where you are in the Bible. Let's go to verse 26. I want you to write down by verse 26 a word. Write down the word responsibility. Here is the responsibility of you and the responsibility of the church. The kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil. Our job, just like the sower, the sower, the farmer, knows that his responsibility is not to make that seed grow. God is going to have to do something for the seed to grow. But what he can do, he cannot lean on a shovel and pray for a hole, okay? You've got to throw the seed out there. You have to broadcast it onto the ground. You have to preach faithfully. And so that is our job. I have to communicate from the pulpit. You've got to communicate as you go out in sorties every day into Kroger's, onto the campus, into the workplace, and God brings about the opportunity. You have to speak that truth. You have to tell it. And you have to tell it, Paul says, boldly, 
which doesn't mean loudly, it means clearly. It means you can't back away on the issue of sin. You can't back away on the necessity of divine revelation as to who God is. You can't back away on that there is no other name given unto men. You can't back away on the fact that he is God and you can't back away on the sense that he died as a punishment for what we did. And you can't back away on the fact that you can do nothing to earn this. It is accepted as a gift and God gets all the glory. You dig? You can't be afraid to say that. You don't have to be eloquent. You don't have to be dynamic, whatever that is. But you do have to be parousia, all speech. You can't, as Paul said, uh, I, how did he put it? I have not withdrawn from proclaiming to you anything that is helpful. You can't go silent on what you know is going to make them mad. So that's our job. People ask me, some, a lot of times young guys will say, well, is there a trick to preaching? I say, no, it ain't a trick. But preachers all do. If they're any good, they all do the same things. Four Fs. You have to focus. You have to show in that text exactly what the grammar says that text says. You've got to be clear. You've got to focus on its truth. And then secondly, you have to flow. You have to show how that text sequentially presents that truth. And then you've got to have flower, F-L-O-W-E-R. You've got to show that if it's true here, it's also true with Abraham, Moses, the prophets, and the history of Israel. Jesus said it, Paul explained it, and Revelation will, will deal with the rejection of it. So, and it's also true in your grandmother's life and with Spurgeon's life, and it's true in Doug's life occasionally. But you have to show how it's true in nature and it's true everywhere, that this text isn't just true here. God does not have any essential truth rest on a single text. It's everywhere. And so you've got to bring it in and make it come to life. Are you with me? Focus, flow, flower. And then you've got to have friction. The reason that text is there is that a human left to himself will deny it. And a human left to himself will violate it. And so you've got to now feel the culture where is the rasp that this text will make on the culture? And I've got to have the courage to let it file down that rasp, okay? And so that's our responsibility. Preach the word. Number two, in verse 27, write down the word rest. Once we preach, then we rest. You can't hold a gun to their head. You can't do like uh, Constantine did to say you will all become Christians and walk through this river and be baptized or we will kill you. That is a very successful evangelistic method. But the quality of the converts has something to be desired. Okay. And so in verse 27, he goes to bed at night because he's done all that he can do. Successful witnessing is not bringing people to Christ. Successful witnessing is sharing clearly and boldly and lovingly the good news of Jesus Christ 
and the power of the Holy Spirit and then leaving the results to God. And so the man rests. The Apostle Paul said, I am free from the blood of all men. He was quoting Ezekiel, where God said, if you know the enemy's coming and you don't speak up, you are guilty for their blood. You got to speak up. And so Paul said, I am free from the blood. I have told you. And incidentally, Paul said that after he had been rejected by an audience. My responsibility is done. What did Christ say do when they reject you? Shake the dust from your feet because now I've done all that I can do. You walk away. And so the sower rests because he knows all I can do is put that seed in the ground. I can water it. I can hoe around it. I can fertilize it. But there are principles about soil and seed and water and light and oxygen and CO2. And I don't understand those. But I can do all that I can do. Verse 27, write down another word. It says, he gets up by day and put down the word in the Greek, I'll be darned. The seed sprouts. Have y'all ever done this to where you, you, you sat down next to a flower that was emerging and you just looked at it and shook your head and said, how in the world? Or go to the, the redwood forest on the uh, west coast and just look at them and think, that started with a seed. And you just shake your head. How did that happen? Great is God. And so write down in verse 27 the word power. He, the seed sprouts and grows. There is a power that is mysterious. He doesn't understand the nature of elements in the soil. He doesn't understand how the elements in the soil get into the seed and cause the seed to die, and then all of a sudden life emerges. Hydrolysis, osmosis. Those farmers couldn't spell it, didn't know what it was. He didn't understand germination. He didn't understand photosynthesis. F-O-T-O-S-I-N. He didn't understand that. Of how light can nourish something on how leaves can be solar panels. Did you know that? With C-L-O-R-O-F-I-L, chlorophyll. He can't figure it out. He doesn't understand how it takes in CO2 and gives off oxygen. How's that happen? Air, light, soil, water. He can't figure it out. It's all over his head. But he does what he can do, and then he goes to bed at night. And so with us, you and I sow the gospel out there. We speak the truth. We live consistently. Amen? We answer questions. We give an account for the hope that is in us. We love them. We give them truth with skin on it. 
And then we pray for God's grace. Paul said, my heart's desire and my prayer to Israel is for their salvation. So you pray. But then you go to bed. Do you understand divine election from eternity? Do you understand divine calling? I know not how the Spirit moves, convincing men of sin, revealing Jesus in his word, creating faith in him. I don't know how he does it. Uh, do you understand uh, the creation of God granting repentance, touching a man's heart with guilt, longing for that to be taken away? Can you understand how the Holy Spirit of God places him out of Adam into Christ and weds him to the body of Christ, the shepherd. I don't understand it either. That's why Jesus said, he said, uh, you must be born again. And then he told how. He said, the, <clears throat> the wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it, uh, but you don't know where it goes and you don't know where it comes from. So is everyone who's born of the spirit. It's mysterious. It's a sovereign act of God. And so we don't understand that. There are terms, and I understand the terms, but how it happens, I cannot figure it out. And we don't have to. You just put the soil, the seed in there, and then you back off and you watch life emerge. And you're fascinated. I'll be darned. Did you ever see this when you had a, your wife fellows brought forth a child and you looked at that child and said look what I did isn't that amazing well that's our ministry in verse 27 I want you to or 28 I want you to write another word 27 says how he himself does not know that it's mysterious and I want you to write down the word in verse 28 sovereignty that God brings about life with no help from anybody. It's his doing. He says, how he himself does not know. Then Jesus says, the soil produces crops by itself. How did it happen? The farmer doesn't know. I went to bed, I got up, and there it was. You know, we've been praying for Mark Damon. He went home yesterday. Did y'all know that? He left the rehab clinic. He was, they gave him a 1% chance of living. And uh, when he left, they all cheered because they couldn't believe that he was alive. And he went home. Mark prayed to receive Christ with me a number of, a few years ago. I was in the office and uh, he came through because he tried to join the church and the uh, church life committee spit him out. <laughs> All right, they said, you don't get to be a member. And he came by and he had his membership papers and he said, hey, is there anybody that can help me? I said, yeah, I'll work here. He said, I got spit out by the uh, join the church committee. And I said, well, give me your papers here. Uh-huh, there's a reason. He said, what's that? You're a child of the devil. <laughs> he said, I beg your pardon? I said, come on back in my office and we'll sit down. I said, 
And I read him his testimony that he wrote down. I said, you have nothing to say about God or his son. You got nothing to say about it. It's all you. I said, if you were to die right now, Mark, and stand before God, would he let you into heaven? Mm, yeah. And I asked him, why? Why would God let you into heaven? That's called a diagnostic question. And he said, well, I've, I've done this and I've done that and I've tried this and I've done that. I said, what would you say to God? And he said to me, I'd say to him, I need a little more time. And I said, time for what? To do what you've always done? And can you take away what you've already done? I went down a list of sins to which he affirmed he had done them. And I said, you can't take those away. It's done. I said, you need somebody to die for you. You need somebody to rise from the dead for you and to impart their life to you as a gift. And the lights came on. Jesus, yes. I said, that's why we're called Christians. You're a Markian. You're a Martian. You're not a Christian because you don't trust Christ. That's the gospel. And we prayed and he put his trust in Christ and became a dear friend. And then he led his son Mitch to Christ and his daughter Macy to Christ. And how, I don't know. What can I say? My sparkling ability in argument. <laughs> I've given the same message to people that threw stuff at me. And it didn't work. Here, it worked. That is the sovereign grace of God. It says in the book of Acts, God opened the heart of Lydia to respond to the things spoken by Paul. Nobody's coming unless God draws them. He shouldn't draw them. And if you were God, you wouldn't draw them. But God does. As many as are the promises of God, in him they are yes. And as many as were appointed to eternal life, believed. And that is why this parable follows the sower. You go out and preach, but church, nothing is going to happen unless God is pleased to do it. And so when it happens, you say like Paul, said so he came back from his first missionary journey and he related to them all the things God had accomplished through him. That's the ministry. Look what God did. All right. Uh, I want to show you something. Keep your finger right there and look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. A lot of times young guys will say to me, you know, is there any trick to preaching, and I say, let me show you something as to what Paul said. In 2 Corinthians, in chapter 2, um, in verse 12, when I came to Troas for the gospel of Christ, and a door was opened for me in the Lord, that's where evangelism begins. When God opens a door between heaven and earth for a human to come, Stargate, it's when God opens that door between universes, our Father who art in heaven. Down here, we can't get there unless God opens a door. 
and a door was opened for me in the Lord, I had no rest for my spirit, not finding Titus my brother. Paul was waiting on Titus to come to him from Thessalonica to tell him if the false teachers had commandeered his church. And he's waiting for Titus. Do you think he would be a little bit anxious to get word from this guy, Titus, coming down from Macedonia to tell you if false teachers had led astray his church? And Titus didn't show up. And Paul has no rest for his spirit. He can't sleep. He's got insomnia because he has to leave Troas and head off to where God calls him to go. And so he said, I am emotionally distraught. Do you ever get that way? Emotionally overloaded. And so, verse 14, 13, taking my leave of them, I went on to Macedonia. Well, in chapter 7, we're going to find out what they told him. He said, Titus came to me and brought us news of your faithfulness, and we rejoiced. In verse 14, Paul anticipates that the reason things turned out well was because of God's grace. The only reason we saw any success was because of God's grace. Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us. Notice your pronouns. He goes before me and he works through me the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. Paul is using the analogy of a Roman general that would conquer a people. And then he would come back into Rome leading the slaves by his chariot. And Paul says, this is the ministry. We are God's slaves conquered by Christ. And in ministry, God leads us in his triumph. And he manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him. They would set off incense. And when anybody smelled that incense, they would smell the sweet aroma of Roman victory. And he said, that's the ministry, is that we are God's people, his servants, his slaves. And he leads us. He opens doors for us and brings about divine appointments and he has to manifest through us the aroma of his victory. That's called evangelism, where we lift up the message of God and like incense, we put it up in the breeze and we let it go wherever it could. Some people would smell that incense and they knew they were going to their death. They were going to the gladiatorial games. They were going to work in the mines. Others would smell it and know that they would be given life, that they would be given to a household. Same way with us. God manifests through us the sweet aroma. And what's the sweet aroma? The knowledge of him. Paul put it like this to the Ephesians. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself as a sacrifice, as a sweet, fragrant aroma pleasing to God. That's the cross. It is pleasing to God what Christ did. And so God manifests through us. We'll put it in the wind and he'll carry it. That's all that we've got to do. Speak the truth. 
Of what? Of God's victory in Christ. Tell them about Jesus. Amen? That's all you got to do. Just be clear and don't chicken out. Don't back down. Speak up. And then in verse 15, we are a fragrance of Christ unto God. Are our people pleased? The people we witness to, are they pleased? Not always. But you're not preaching for them. Y'all see verse 15? Who are you preaching for? We're a fragrance of Christ unto God. So when I do my preaching, when I do my witnessing, same with you, there's only one audience we have to appease. Who's it? It's God. Is God pleased with what I said? Am I faithful to what he said? Stephen, if they are stoning you, you're okay because one person has come to his feet who said, well done. We're a fragrance of Christ unto God among those being saved and those being lost. Do we know who's going to believe? No. Do we know who's going to reject it ultimately? No, you don't. But God does. You just be faithful where you are to get set on fire. That's what incense is. A guy said to Charles Spurgeon once, he said, how do you preach? He said, set your heart aflame for Christ and the world will come to watch you burn. So you set, let that aroma go up of Calvary, of his virgin birth, his incarnation, his death upon a cross, his satisfying the wrath of God, paying for the sin of man, his reconciling man unto himself, justifying man by his righteousness bestowed, saving us from sin and death and hell. You just make that real clear as long as they'll listen to you and then you walk away and you go do what? You get you a Dr. Pepper. That is why God invented it. Okay. And so you're a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are going to curse your name. They're perishing. Can we have two polar responses to the same message? Simeon said Jesus is appointed for the rise and the fall of many in Israel and assigned to be opposed. You and I have a building with a cross on the top and a cross behind me, and we sing of him continual, whom the world would like to censure as hate speech. Am I right? I'm right. And that's okay. That's how we know we're doing something. We could change the message to get along with everybody. Now we'd be liberals. Okay. And so we are, in verse 16, an aroma to one from death to death. We just tell him that he is lost and there's nothing he can do that can commend himself to God. You're dead. What does the future hold for me? Hell. You are an aroma of death unto death. You're a dead man. And you are heading to a family reunion with Satan and his angels. And what was I not clear there? That's where you're going. And there's no way you can get out. Or we're an aroma of life to life, that you can be declared righteous by God right now and sing on earth about heaven's assurance. And it will end up in glory, in a family reunion. The Bible ends up in Revelation 22 and 21 in a family reunion. There's the lake of fire, 
and there's the new Jerusalem. So it's either God and his people or Satan and his people. And so we preach about life unto life or death unto death. And in verse 17 or 16, he asks a question. See what the question is? Who is adequate for these things? What human being is there that in himself can bring human beings to the knowledge of God, can convert them? Who is adequate? 17, he said, I'll tell you who isn't. We are not like many peddling the word of God or corrupting it. He uses the term peddler, kapelas, talks about an innkeeper. You ever go to Branson that shows you can stay in this motel and we'll give you a free ride to hear Dolly and we'll give you a jacuzzi and we'll give you a breakfast buffet and we can provide you HBO and a foot rub, all right? Well, this one has to do another thing to get you in. Uh, we'll take you in a bus where there's a jacuzzi in it, and then you can do this. We'll have an evening menu, and they're always trying to do something to make the sale. Paul said, that's not us. We're not going to do everything we can to get you to believe. That's not my job. My job is to correctly represent the product. This is Christ. So we're not like many who peddle the word, but as from sincerity. Let me tell you real quickly what the word sincere means. The Greek word here is the word heliokrine. Krine means to test. Helio means sun-tested. In those days when you made pottery, if you were going to make the best pottery, you have to fire it very slowly. Because if you fire it too quickly, it'll crack. So you fire it slow. And that means you don't get to make as much pottery and you don't make as much money. But you've made a proper product. If you want to cheapen your product, you just nuke it real quick and it'll crack. And then you take wax and you put wax in the cracks. All right? Paraffin. And that way you can sell a cheap product and you can make more money. You know how you can tell it's cheap? You have it sun-tested. You take it and you hold it to the light and you see if there's wax in the cracks and you say, aha, you cheap rascal. You're trying to sell me broken pottery. And that's what in Latin, the word sun siri means without wax. How about that? Sincere in Latin and sincere in Greek are the same thing. It means that it's the real item, all right? And so Paul says, we speak from sincerity. We're the real item. We're not going to change it to say that if you trust Christ, you can lose that nagging 20 pounds, okay? If you'll trust Christ, your teeth will come in straight and your children will all be good. Really? Who can you preach that to? Singles? Okay. If you preach this, God will get you a job, and you can be healthy, you won't get sick, and you'll be wealthy. Really? There is wax in your cracks. <laughs> now, in verse 17, 
We speak, notice your last pronouns. There's three of them. We are as from God. I am God's messenger. I'm not going to change this for you. We speak in Christ. Our message is about Jesus. That's all. And we are in the sight of God. He is our audience. What does God think? Can he say, well done, thou good and faithful servant? Isn't that a good text? And so, that's how you share the message. You be faithful to what God says. Well, if you'll look down in verse 28, write this down in verse 28. Put down the word time. Time. When somebody comes to faith, there is now time that he will go from a babe in Christ to a growing believer and then to a mature believer that can win others to Christ. It takes time. In verse 28, the soil produces crops by itself. Sovereignty. And then time. First the blade, then the head, and then the mature grain in the head. So don't be discouraged in your converts. It takes time. Just like when you have a baby. A baby is a noise surrounded by an appetite. Okay. And they start growing up as children and you restrict them so they will not put themselves to death too quickly. And then they get to be teenagers and they're crazy. And then they become young adults. They're dangerous because they can breed. And then you take them on to where hopefully they will be a delight at a family reunion. Amen. And so it takes time for that kid to harden and to grow. And so he says that it's going to do that. It goes like this. He that began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ. All Christians have a sign. It says under construction. We are his workmanship created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand. You grow into it. God said to the Apostle Paul, to Ananias, who was going to baptize him, he is a chosen vessel that will bear my name before kings of the Gentiles. And that took place uh, around 10, 15 years later. It took time to bring him. Uh, God wills and works for his good pleasure. And so, the, the job of this church and our leadership is to teach the Word of God clearly to protect you from error when it comes in. To reprove sin in this world. Is there a lot out there that runs counter-purposes to God's Word? We've got to speak about it. And then to correct. Teach, reprove, correct. That's wrong. This is right. Right here. This is right. And then to train in righteousness, to show you how to put it to work in your life and to give you a chance to bear fruit. That we can have the gap, we can have 2-7, we can have small groups, we can have MTI, Missionary Training Institute, we can have young guns, young nuns, we can have uh, 
What else we got in this church? Bible training center for pastors, Bible training center for leaders. We can put you in Sunday school leadership. We give you every single opportunity to flourish. Mel and I made a decision years ago that the one criticism we would never hear in our church was that you guys changed the Bible to succeed and that I wanted to be a fruitful witness and to bring people to Christ, but you didn't give me a chance. You just kept me in diapers. And we made that decision. We would never be criticized because of that. So we're gonna try to teach it unapologetically and we will let you go as far as you wanna go. You can be a Bible study teacher. You can be a Titus II leader among young women, a man in men's ministry, or we can help send you to seminary. We can send you to Southern. You can get a doctorate. Then we can send you to Afghanistan and you can get martyred and we will put your picture out there in the foyer. Doug, are you with me? Okay. So if you want to go to the death, we're with you. And if you're real good, we'll name something after you. Okay. Like the Kendall Lucas Memorial Piano right there. All right. But what we won't do is have you have to leave this church because you want to play ball and we kept you on the sideline. We're not going to do that. And so if you want to do something and we don't have a way to do it, we'll invent it and we'll find a way to get it done. You want to learn Akkadian and Hebrew? We can teach it to you. I can't, but somebody can. We take you as far as you want to go. Okay, and then along the way, we try to take care of the bumps and the bruises. And to dedicate your children, to baptize your kids, to bury your loved ones, and to counsel you when you're in trouble. And we eat a lot, a lot of covered dishes, all right, the Christian way. But growth, Paul said, is from God. In other words, you're not trying to develop numbers of people. You're trying to develop numbers of certain kinds of people, growing Christians. You dig? That's what we want, are growing Christians. And so, that's the age we're in, verse 28. In verse 29, write down the word terminus. T-E-R-M-I-N-U-S. This age is not going to go on forever. Are you with me? This age of the preaching of the gospel, of the persecution of God's people, of the spiritual growth through the word of God and his spirit is not going to go on forever. There will be a terminus to it. It goes like this. All authority is given to me in heaven and on earth, their sovereignty. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. That's the parable of the sower. You throw it out to all nations. Teaching them to obey all that I instructed you. That's called growth. Uh, and lo, I am with you. I'll give you grace. I am with you until the end of the age. Are you telling me, Sue, that this age will end? Yeah. Just like Jesus is going to say. We don't have forever. 
Christ put it like this. He said, labor while it is still day, for night cometh when no man can work. Have y'all read the end of the book yet? Yes. It ends someday, that there will be no more working. Someday we will no longer need a Bible. Like Gus, he beholds now face to face. But his growth period is done. My teaching of him is done. He's face to face. He doesn't even have to pray anymore to an unseen person, say, our Father who art in heaven. He goes, our Father who, well, there you are. You're right there. He doesn't have to have hope anymore. Hope is present. It's right there. The greatest of these is love. That's the only thing that continues. And so that's where he is. Same as old Walt, Libby's dear husband. He's there in glory. And so this age is going to end. Anybody ever drive through Dallas and, uh, and the old, well, it's still there, the Park Cities Baptist Church uh, steeple has a clock on it. And you can see it from any place in downtown Dallas. There's a clock. But it has in black letters where everybody can see it, night cometh. Night cometh. And so Jesus said, work while it's still day because night cometh. And this is all going to be over. All authority is given to me. Make disciples of all. Teaching them. Till the end of the age. It's not going to last forever. It's going to be over. Verse 29. When the crop permits, immediately he puts in the sickle. Because the harvest has come. Shall we gather at the river, the beautiful, the beautiful river that flows from the throne of God? Yes, we'll gather at the river. The beautiful, the beautiful river. Gather with the saints at the river that flows from the throne of God. So how do you apply this? A lot of times I'll hear about our present day. You know, this is a day of great uncertainty to which I say, no, it ain't. Uncertain for who? It's uncertain for them. It's not uncertain for us. I know who God is. Amen? I know who I am. I know what sin is. I know what redemption is. I know who sits on the throne. All authority is given to me. I know who's with me. Lo, I'm with you. I like, I did a, this week I spoke on Zoom to about a thousand Indian Christians. And, uh, Babu George, all five foot two of him, was sitting next to me, orating. And I remember Babu said, you know, I have an advantage to the rest of you. I said, what's that? He said, Jesus said, lo, I am with you. <laughs> Kissed him right on his head. All right. What am I talking about? Oh, yeah. You and I are certain. These are not uncertain times. Oh, but it's uncertain for the world. When has it not been? The only thing that gives certainty is the integration of God into everything. When I understand who made the creation, who made man in his image, 
When I understand what truth is, it comes from God in his word through the nation of Israel from whom comes the Messiah. If I understand who it is that died and rises for me, if I understand what gives me grace to follow him, the power of the Holy Spirit through the rebirth of what God is going to do in the future, that he will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the dead in Christ rise and we be called together and meet him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And then we shall have the final judgment. And then we shall have the kingdom of God. And then we shall have uh, new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. I'm secure. I don't know about you. My problem is I got too much security. It's, I've got a whole volume of it to read. And so I'm safe and sound. It's never been secure for those guys. Because when you get the only thing that makes life adhere is the knowledge of God. He brings integrity or integration to all of life. That's why the Christian is taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We're returning to the garden, all right? When you take God out, all of the world disintegrates. You don't know what government is. You don't know what marriage is, what sex is, what, what the arts are. Everything disintegrates. But it disintegrates slow, depending upon your approximation to the previous message of grace. In other words, 1950 was better than today. And the farther we get away from it, unless there is regeneration, revival, reformation, or the return, it's going to disintegrate. Amen? That's why history does not get better every day in every way. Like Daniel's vision, it goes from gold, silver, brass, iron, dirt. It gets down. And so is it bad out there? Of course it's bad out there. What'd you expect? They outnumber us. As soon as you're born, you're a, you're a, uh, you're a, <laughs> as soon as you're born, you're alien from God. Okay. You have to be reborn to get your mind right. So there's always going to be more of them than there are of us who will glorify sodomy and bloodshed and abortion and all kind of weirdness to try to paste together the Tower of Babel. Always. So stick close. Circle up. Stick close. You young studs, marry within the church. Don't be down at the shadow's lounge thinking you're going to find some proper mate because you ain't. And be careful when you go to college because college ain't what college was. Amen, Ken Cofield. He's a college director. It ain't what it was. And so when you turn on the tube, you be careful and don't watch the news or you'll go insane you'll go crazy. Abide in your Bible. So are these uncertain times? No, they're not uncertain times. I know whom I have believed and I'm convinced he's able to keep what I've entrusted to him until that day. Let me quit with something right here. The greatest of all sports photos ever made was back in the two th early 2000s, I think it was. Might have been the 90s. Dallas was playing 
the San Francisco 49ers. 49ers had a wide receiver named Terrell Owens. T.O. Team Obliterator. Okay. Terrell Owens was playing. And Terrell Owens for San Francisco caught a touchdown. Anybody remember what he did? He ran in Texas Stadium to the 50-yard line to the Dallas Star. And there he stood facing the Dallas fans with, his, uh, with the football held wide and held Dallas in contempt. Okay. T.O. struggles with what's called megalomania. Okay. <laughs> and so he held it up. And a guy named George Teague, who was a linebacker from Green Bay that Dallas had picked up, attempted to decapitate him, all right, <laughs> while he was standing there, to the thunderous applause of the Dallas fans, okay. But he promptly moved him off that star. And then a few series later, Dallas scored on, uh, and this was in a time when the Dallas dynasty was down. We hadn't won a Super Bowl since the 90s, so it was down. And Emmett Smith scored. And as soon as he scores, he takes the ball and he takes off his helmet and he sprints to the Dallas Star, okay? And he kneels down and places that ball down. And the place went crazy. Anybody remember that? And some guy on the sideline snapped a picture. That is the greatest sports photo ever made, where you see uh, a favored son of Dallas kneeling on that which is the insignia of the heritage of his franchise, and he is like lovingly laying that ball down as an obedient son. And behind him, nobody planned it. You see the Dallas banner, the Dallas star, and it's dipping down its ray on its suffering and faithful child. Ain't that something? You couldn't have planned it better. But there it is. That's what we are supposed to be. In a world that rejects us, that we are the guys that kneel on the star to the favor and the grace of God. Father in heaven, I pray that this parable of the seed would have taken the pressure off of us. As Paul said, it is required of stewards that they may be found faithful. In this case, moreover, it is required of us. Let a man consider us as this, as servants of God and stewards of the mysteries of Christ, that we will be faithful to tell men what they can't figure out. And if we all die, then we will die. If Stephen dies, then he will die. And if I go down, then somebody else will take this pulpit. If our staff goes down, then somebody else will step up. But this place shall always have a voice in this lectern concerning the grace of God. And find us, God, as we go out in sorties all this week, as we run into women at the well, open a door 
and find us faithful. In Jesus' name.